Well, good morning and welcome again online. Those of you here, we're so glad if you're new here, just welcome here. This is New Life Community Church. We're glad you're here. And this is a place that you can feel welcome. You can be yourself. You can explore and ask questions, and that's okay. We're, we're fine with that. That's been the tenure of this church from its inception, from the very beginning. It's a place where you can come and discover Jesus. And, and our, our motto is moving up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And, and, and we want to do that no matter what the circumstances of the world are and what our present circumstances are. We think that it's, there's always a new day and a new step that you can take with Jesus. And that's what we're we're all about here. And so, uh, again, tomorrow is the day of, of love, celebration of love. And February for me is kind of a cursed month, not cursed, but like, like I, I have Valentine's Day and then I have my anniversary at the end of the month. So like, for a guy that's not very sentimental, I have to come up with two creative options, right? And it's, oh, you know, it always crunches me on, on, in February. And so I kind of got into this pattern and our 10th anniversary we went on a trip. I'm like, hey, this is really good. I said, could we just like, you know, all the anniversaries and Valentine's Days, can we just kind of, you know, every five years just celebrate them all together at once, you know, go somewhere, you know? And Elisa's like, no, it doesn't really work that way, Mike. You know, yeah, we got to, you know, celebrate. And so, uh, and then it got more complicated when, when we had a, our, our second child on our anniversary day. Now it's like, what do you do? Whose birthday or anniversary? How, how do you celebrate that, right? So, so it, it's a confusing time for our family, you know? And, and that's, uh, so the reality is, is that families have to deal with those issues. And thankful for that. We want to begin with prayer, and even those of you online, maybe you're, you're not even a church person. You're like, this is kind of weird, but you know, God, God in, in heaven, the, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, God, he, he delights to hear from his children, and uh, we can ask questions, we can seek answers, we can bring our concerns to him. He's happy to hear that, and so we want to just spend a few moments where you can just talk to God, and then there's nothing, you know, it's, God just loves to hear. It's like when you have a little toddler and they begin to talk, right? And, and sometimes you understand, sometimes you don't, but you're just excited to hear them trying to communicate with you, right? And God just delights, no matter what we gurgle out at him, he's just like, yeah, I'm so glad you're, you're we're, we're trying to communicate here. I mean, you know, and, and, and usually it's our problem. That we, but, but, you know, he loves to hear from us. And so just let's spend a, a moment just in quiet prayer, and then let's pray the Lord's Prayer if you want to join me. I'm just going to pray the Lord's Prayer. You can, you can pray out loud with me as we kind of close our prayer time with the Lord's Prayer. So let's just spend a few moments in quiet prayer, and then I'll pray together the Lord's Prayer. I'll, I'll invite you to join me in that. so we pray to our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Some of those themes will come out in the sermon today as we, as we talk. But to, anyway, this week in Saskatchewan, the premier made a very significant announcement. And I quote just from his announcement. He says, It is time to heal the divisions over vaccination in our families, in our communities, and in our province. It's time for proof of vaccination requirements to end. 
I'm not making a political statement. But what I'm saying is the Premier of Saskatchewan recognized the relational consequences of COVID and how it affected and polarized and alienated people. And we all know that. I've talked to many of you about this, and I've heard horror stories of families not wanting to visit and no one getting together and all. So I've, I've heard it all, and, and, it, and it grieves me deeply. And I wrote a letter to the premier about a year ago and saying, this is not right, the way you're, you're castigating and where, you know, you're, alien, you're segregating people and, and putting them in different cam. Like, this is not good. I said the same thing to my principal of, of my school, saying you can't have you know, one rule for this kid and one rule for, I mean, you, you gotta be, you know, it's got to be even and fair and and thankfully, um, thankful to the prayers of God's people, I think uh, our, our Premier of Saskatchewan had the moral courage to say, you know what, that we need to squat, quit the division. Why can't we all get along? I mean, all of you know and experience the realities of, of conflict and relational breakdown in, in many different contexts. Some of you have work environments where you're like, man, it is toxic. I walk into there, it's like walking into a, you know, a uranium plant or something. It's like, you know, there's just things burning up and it's just, it's just like, whoa, watch out, you know. Others of you have family gatherings where you're just like, okay, brace yourself. We're getting together as a family and it's gonna be fireworks, you know, and, and you just, you put, you know, you put on your armor, you walk in and the barrels are flying and the, you know, flaming things and you, you walk out, you're like, okay, whew, that's done. Hopefully you don't have to do that again for a couple of years, you know, and, and, and this is the reality. Some of you go to school and you just live in this shadow of the criticism, the condemnation, the profanity, this, the way kids treat each other in this city it's horrific and they, you know it's 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 a byproduct of the sarcasm of, of humor on the tv and stuff like that and now it just goes further and further and further they put each other down they run each other down and and sometimes the adults in the room aren't stopping it why can't we all get along as a kid i I remember there was a choir. I think my brother was in it. I was probably too young to be in the choir, but I remember them sitting up there and, and singing that song, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. You know, it's such a nice song, but it's so far from reality, right? Why can't we all get along? Well, the reality is, in chapter 3 of Genesis, and I got the little tree hiding over there under the screen there, something happened. Everything went wrong when Adam and Eve violated the boundary of trust between them and God and chose their own way over God's way, chose not to believe in the word of God and trust in faith in the word of God and, and took their own path. And as a result, there, end of chapter three, God is kicking them out, of, driving them out of the garden, putting a guard there, you're not coming back in, and they're outside the garden, and now they're, okay, farm the ground, you know, work the soil, but it's gonna be a painful toil that you're gonna work this soil. And so we're, okay, what's gonna happen now? Well, chapter four says, this is what happens. Now sin has entered the human heart. We all find ourselves in this situation where we have been infected with this reality of, 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 our, of sinfulness. And it manifests itself in relationships. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 4. We have a spiritual virus that infects our ability to relate to and to love others. It's way worse than COVID. And there's only one way to fix it. In Genesis 4, verse 1, this is what it says. The man had marital relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Then she said, I've created a man just as the Lord did. And then she gave birth to his brother, Abel. 
Abel took care of the flocks while Cain cultivated the ground. So good news. Despite the fact that they've been kicked out of the garden, that their sin has entered the world, they're still able to procreate and, 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 and see new life coming. And so they're like, okay, it's not all over. It's not all death. Okay, new life can happen. And, and they're exciting. Some have suggested that Cain thought perhaps that, I mean, that Eve thought that Cain maybe was this, this offspring that would crush the serpent's head. So she gives birth to the son. Okay, now go, go kill the snake. You know, it doesn't happen. Or she says, oh, okay, I guess God has a different plan, right? But, but anyway, these two sons grow up. One is a farmer, one is a rancher. One works the soil, produces crops. The other is a husbandry of animals and seeing them and increasing the flock. And it says in verse 3 that there is this pattern of worship that they, have, they follow. It says in verse 3, At the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground for an offering to the Lord. So it seemed like Adam and Eve had taught their children, okay, we are, we've been kicked out of the garden, but God, we can still relate to God. And the way we relate to God is by bringing an offering to God. And so these, these boys are, have learned, and, and they're, 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 we are created to worship God and to be in a relationship with God. So they're coming, and they're, they're bringing offerings to the Lord. Cain brings an offering, and it says in verse 4, but Abel is contrasting him with Cain, the, the narrator is here. But Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. And the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering. In verse 5 it says, But with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. So Cain became angry and his expression was downcast. So something's happening here. The the narration and, and the way the wording is described, it seems like this is how it went. Cain knows it's time to bring the offering, and so he goes into the cold room. You know, this is what you gardeners do, right? You have a place where you keep your potatoes and your carrots, and, and for Cain, maybe it was some barley and oats. And he, he gets something together there, and he, gets, he grabs some of this, some of this, some of this, some of this, throws it together, brings it out, and puts it out before the Lord. There's my offering. I've done my duty. I've, I've fulfilled my obligations because this is what people are supposed to do. We're supposed to worship and offer God, you know, and he, he does it. You know, okay, I'm, I'm doing it. It's like, you know, sometimes you get up on Sunday, it's like, well, I got to go to church because it's an obligation. If you grew up like me, you know, it's like, this is what, what good Christian people do. And maybe sometimes your heart's not in it, but you're just doing it. And you're, you know, you get to church, hey, good morning, brother. Pleased to meet you, you know, and you're just all happy. But deep in your heart, you're not happy. You just want to be doing something else or whatever. You're, 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 your body's here, but your heart's not here. I hope that's not any of you here this morning. But, um, and sometimes even pastors wake up on Sunday and be like, oh, do I have to go? You know, and we got to deal with that. We got, okay, Lord, I got to deal with this before I even get out of bed, you know, but not very often and not too many times in New Life. I'll be honest, it hasn't happened here as much, but uh, other places it's happened. Boy, I was like, oh, Lord, you know, can I? Is there another option? No, there's no other option, Mike. Get up. <laughs> Serve me, you know. Abel. It's time for Abel to worship the Lord. And he goes to his flock and says, oh yeah, that one was born first. And because he's born first, he's the largest. And he's strong. And I'm, I'm going to examine him. Yeah, there's no defects. There's no little weeping sores on this animal. It's perfect. It's, and it's pretty fat. There are other smaller weaklings that I could pick, but this is the best one I have. And he takes it, and he offers it to the Lord. It doesn't, I mean, it appears that each one is bringing on his own 
to the Lord. And this is the truth. When you come to worship, we're, we're not looking at each other. We're looking together at God, right? And that's, that's a danger. When you start looking at other people and wondering what they're doing and why they're doing it, I mean, that's when it gets a little bit weird. I, I had a lady once tell me, you know, it's distracting when, when people are raising their hands in church. I said, well, why are you looking at the people in the church? I thought you were there to worship God. She said, oh, uh, you know, you know, and I'm just like, come on. Like, why, your, your focus is not right if you're thinking about what he or she is doing or why is she wearing that or why is he doing, you know. Just get your focus on the Lord. That's what you come to church for, not to look at what other people are doing in the chairs. Abel brings it. And it says the Lord is pleased with Abel and his offering. Like he's, okay, that's a good offering. And how he was pleased, I don't know. Sometimes God would send fire down and consume the offering. I mean, we, we're not told. The narrator doesn't think it's important. What he's saying is, Abel did it right. Cain didn't do it right. And it says uh, in verse 5, Cain became very angry. Um, the Hebrew word paints a vivid picture of extreme anger. I mean, it's burning within him. I think that's the literal Hebrew. It's burning. It's like this. Whew, he's, angry. He's, he's angry. It's jealousy. It's, it's envy. He is not happy that Abel got something that he didn't get. And we've all experienced this, if we're honest with ourselves. If you had siblings, you experienced it. In your workplace, you've experienced it. Maybe even in your neighborhood, you've experienced it, right? That neighbor drives up with the new truck and the new RV or the new boat, and you're just like, ah. And in your backyard, you got that 1986 edition, you know, that barely starts. And you're just like, oh, how come? Or even in the church, like, how, how come his family or her family is so nice and, I, and my family's got these problems and we can't dress like that and we can't go where they're going? I mean, we begin to compare. This anger begins to just burn inside of his soul. And it says his expression was downcast. Like this is, uh, you know, the verbal description is like almost like depression, but it's like this cloud just descends into his soul. And maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. When we begin to play that comparison game and the competition game, you never win. There's always someone that has something nicer than you. Someone that's a little bit faster than you. Someone that makes more money than you. Someone that has more kids than you. Someone, I mean, whatever it is. And his expression is downcast. He is not happy in this situation. And the Lord said to Cain in verse 6, why are you angry, and why is your expression downcast? It's, you know, I mean, it's interesting. Why does God even need to talk to him? I mean, he's not obligated, but you see God reaching out to people. I mean, we have spurned him at the tree. We, we rejected his word, and we are living in the consequences, but God doesn't give up on people. He's still reaching out to them, still inviting them, still, still trying to engage the conversation. It's amazing how loving and gracious and merciful God is, even though we are so stupid and ignorant and selfish. Why are you angry? Why is your expression downcast? Why are you depressed, Cain? Come on. And he says in verse 7, Is it not true that if you do what is right, you'll be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to dominate you, but you must subdue it. God is inviting Cain to make a good choice here. It's crouching at the door. We've all experienced this at some point with some 
sin, whatever your besetting sin happens to be, where you just feel that envy or that jealousy or that greed or that anger or that bitterness or that lust or whatever it is. And it's just, it's sitting there and, and you have the opportunity to act on it or to reject it. And, and you're just, you're, you're, and it's like this crouching tiger or, or, or literally some people, it's like those gargoyles that are on top of a, you know, a, a big cathedral, you know, like, those, you know, evil looking things there. It's just waiting for, to just jump in and rip your heart apart. But he's like, it doesn't have to be that way. Cain, God's giving him an out. The thing about temptation is that God always gives us an out. But the problem is we don't often choose that out. We follow our passion. We let our emotions run. We let our, our selfishness make the decision instead of saying, yeah, God, your way is right. I'll just, I'll, I'll reject my own selfish desires and I'll choose your right path. Even though I, I want to do this, I know this is the right thing to do, so I'm going to do this instead of this. I mean, this is ultimately exemplified by Christ on the cross, right? He's getting crucified, an innocent man, for no reason or justified reason. I mean, he's, he's, I mean, and he has the power to destroy everyone. I mean, he's the son of God. He could just, okay, zap him. You know, he could have just sent a, a nuke down on Jerusalem and just, you know, blow the whole thing up. He doesn't. He receives it. He, he accepts it. He does what's right. Even though justifiably, he could have said, I'm innocent. I don't deserve this, but he does it because he loves us and he wants us to experience relationship with God. He's like, this is the path, so I, I accept it. The path of forgiveness, the path of reconciliation, the path of peace, the path of love is not always the easy path. And sometimes it will conflict with our own deeply ingrained emotions and feelings and passions about a certain issue or topic or theme or situation. You must subdue it. I don't know, maybe some of you guys watching online or you guys in the room here, I mean, you may have that crouching tiger sitting over your shoulder right now. I don't know what the issue is. Maybe it's someone that hurt you in the past and you're just not going to let them forgive. You're not going to forgive. And you would look for every opportunity to bring pain into their life because of what they've done to you. And I can resonate with that. I, know, I can just imagine how that would feel. And even you watch movies where, you know, justice happens and the bad guys get killed and you think, yeah, yeah, you know, because like, that's something about our hearts wanting justice. But, but then God comes along and is like, yeah, forgive those who do evil against you. Like, how do you do that? Well, only through God, because you on your own can't do that. I fail every time I do it on my own strength. But with God, somehow I'm able to do those things that I can't naturally my own do. But here's, here's sin in the heart, and it's jealous, and it's envious, and it's competitive, and it's alienating. And it's leading towards a path of violence. See that in verse 8. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is what happens when sin gets into the human heart and the human heart lets sin have its way and, and makes choices in, in line with that, that depraved heart. We begin to hurt and, and inflict pain and, and, and ulti, you know, punishment on each other. It all starts where things went wrong and now we see families being torn apart because of sin. He takes his brother to the field 
and kills him. Like it's, it's a gory and a bloody scene. It's hard to even imagine. I mean, I fought with my brother. Like, we had some go-arounds. But never, never, never would I think of, you know, like, taking it that far. But, I mean, it, you know, but this is the thing. When sin kind of grows in your heart, it, it can take you to, to places you, you don't want to go. And then verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? As if God doesn't know where he is, right? God knows exactly where he is. But he, again, is inviting Cain to, to own up to and take responsibility for his actions. And he replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Or the translation, maybe your translation, am I my brother's keeper? That would be more familiar. Literally in the Hebrew is, am I the shepherd's shepherd? Like that same term that's used to describe guardian or keeper is used to describe the person who, who watches over a sheep. Am I the, am I the shepherd's shepherd? Am, am, I, am I really responsible for him? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So now you are banished from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. You see, I mean, the life was in the blood. Leviticus 17 talks about that. The life is in the blood. And so, so God, God's using this vivid word picture to say, you know, his, his blood is crying out to me. It's, it's a testimony against your actions. And throughout the scriptures, God says, you know, the life is in the blood and life is precious to me and you, you cannot take life with, with, you know, with impunity. Even in the Ten Commandments, it says, you shall not kill, right? Why? Because we are created in the image of God and we need to respect the value of life. And he says in verse 12, when you try to cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its best for you. You will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. So he's kicked off the ground. He's the farmer, right? Now you are, you are destined to live as a nomad, wandering aimlessly, without any home. As some of you have experienced homelessness. Maybe you had a fire and you kind of find yourself displaced or for whatever reason. And, and there, there's a certain anxiety that comes with that. I imagine all these refugees in our world right there, right now, there is a refugee camp in Bangladesh with 730,000 of the Rohingya people. 730,000 in one camp in Bangladesh. And they're there because, because of this reality of, of, of hatred and of sin in the human heart. People are, you know, there's prejudice and racism. Cain, you're gonna be a wanderer. And then Cain said, verse 13, to the Lord, my punishment is too great to endure. Look, you are driving me off the land today. I must hide from your presence. I'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, all right, then, if anyone kills Cain, Cain will be avenged seven times as much. Then the Lord put a special mark on Cain so that no one who found him would strike him down. What's absent is this, is Cain saying, yes, I did what's wrong. Yes, I killed my brother. I shouldn't have killed my brother. I was envious. I was jealous. I allowed my passions to overtake me, and, and I made a horrible decision that cost the life in our family, and I am ashamed, and, and I am sorry. None of that comes out. All is, oh, now I'm really destined to be in trouble. Someone's going to kill me. Well, that's what he deserved, but God in his grace puts his mark on Cain and says, okay, no one's going to kill you, but, but you got to live with the consequences of your actions, and Cain never comes back to God. In fact, verse 16, look what happens. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Every time you're going east, you're going away from God. 
in the book of Genesis. They're cast out of the garden east, east side. There, there's a flaming sword. Now he's going further east. He's moving away from the Lord. And this is the story of human history. There are people that continue to follow God in faith, and then there's a group of people, a large group of people that don't. And those that don't cause a lot of grief in our world. Even sometimes the people that follow God can cause grief in the world, but that's not the way God planned it. God designed us to live in this unity and, and to be one family and to value and appreciate each other. But when sin takes root in the human heart, it leads us to all sorts of horrific potential of evil. A few years ago, for my 20th anniversary, <laughs> we went to Israel. And uh, it's part of the tour, and, and they do this with most tour groups, I think. In fact, if you're a foreign diplomat and you want to visit Israel, you have to, you have to on your itinerary, have a visit to this place called Yad Vashem. It's the Holocaust Memorial. It's chilling. You, you leave there with just this like awe of the horrific evil that humans can do to each other. And we don't ever want to forget that. Uh, there has never been anything like it. Uh, nothing in our current experience should be called a Holocaust because that was such a horrific evil. And it, 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 it earns and deserves its own special designation as that in my mind. But just to see just how horrific the evil. And then there's this, and then at the end, if it wasn't bad enough, then they take us to the memorial for the children. Estimated to be about a million and a half children and young adults who were killed in that horrific time of human history. Why can't we get along? Because when sin takes root in the human heart and, the, and excludes God from the decision-making and from the way we, we, we relate to each other, it leads to horrific places. And how do you fix that? And so every time you encounter prejudice or racism or segregation, or alienation, or blaming, or name-calling. And this has been going on in the media in our country for the last two years. That's not coming from God, understand that. You need to stop and say, wait a second, is this message, who, where, where is this message coming from? And you need to start filtering those messages with God's word. What does God say? Should, should we be classifying people in certain categories and places? And is, is that the way it's supposed to be? No, 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 no. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Actually, the church, you know, as Jesus dies and raises, rises from the grave, suddenly, you know, this, this, Movement's born called the church, right? And guess what happens in the church? Anyone and everyone is welcome. You don't have to have a genealogy or a bank balance or a trust fund or a certain color skin. In fact, you don't, you don't even need to be a free person. Slaves can come into this place. Women have equal status as men in the church. What? In the first century, not a chance, you know? Keep the women out, men are, you know, but not in the church, no, the church was different. Slaves could sit next to free people and worship and share communion together. It was just remarkable. Christian families didn't throw their children out, unwanted children on the street or in the garbage cans. In fact, they went down the alleys and picked up the unwanted children and looked after them. In times of plague, while everyone else is kicking Uncle Bob into the street because he's sick and might infect us all. The Christians are out there dragging Uncle Bob into their house and getting sick with Uncle Bob. Why? Because that's what Christ would do. It revolutionized the world. But it comes through Jesus Christ. 
who walks into a rebellious, sinful, twisted world and says, I'll give myself so that you guys can be restored to God, to us forever. And that's the reality we live in. And at the end of the Bible, God paints this picture of this like marriage supper. And I've been to some great weddings and some great feasts, but I mean, like this, this is the feast of all feasts. And this table is set in, in just decadent honor of everyone there. And, and here at this table is it, indistinguishable. There's every tribe, nation, language, you know, everyone is gathered together and celebrating the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's this beautiful picture. That's God's heart for, for the world, is just this unity. This connection, as we sang, this homecoming. And he says to the church, in the meantime, I want you to be a little mini homecoming, just a tiny little appetizer that sets the stage for what's to come. Everyone is welcome here. But the truth is that a new life, that we, we recognize that all of us are sinners and have the potential to be mean, selfish, judgmental, vindictive, harsh, careless, unloving, the potential. But as we come to the cross and discover forgiveness, and God puts his Holy Spirit in our life, then we have now the potential to be gracious, forgiving, loving, caring, generous, hospitable. Oh, God changes our heart from the inside out. And when we can't get along, in the church we can be a model of what it means to get along. Even with all the garbage around us, and we all feel the effects of it. Some of you in your workplaces and in your families and in your schools, I mean, you, you, you deal with this. And hopefully when you come to the church and when you come to God's word, you discover a place of healing, a place of sanctuary, a place of restoration, a place of hope. God's not done with us yet. And what we find in Genesis uh, chapter 5 is that people begin to walk with God, to walk with God, to have this relationship with God. But then others are not walking with God. I mean, one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, gets up and brags about killing to, you know, a guy that, that, that wounded him. And, and, you know, and, and this violence is increasing. But in the, as that is increasing, there's also these, these faithful few that are, are continuing to maintain connection and relationship with God, even when a larger group is moving away from God. We continue to walk in faith, in unity because of Jesus Christ, putting first things first and letting those secondary and third and fourth and fifth level issues be third, fourth, fifth, and not first. And that's what New Life's about. Jesus Christ is number one. We serve him first and foremost. He sets the, the standard and his word for, for how we function as a church. And we will practice and walk in love. I just wanted to read um, from, the book of James, from the book of James in verse 4, chapter 4. Just, just listen to this. He says, Where do the conflicts and where do the quarrels among you come from? Is it not from this, from your passions, that battle inside of you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and envy and you cannot obtain. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask but you do not receive because you ask wrongly so you can spend it on your passions. He says, adulterers 
Do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility towards God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. See, the world has a different standard of fighting and, and relating, but we say, no, no, God, God doesn't, that, that's not the what we're called to. Or do you think the scripture means nothing when it says the spirit that God's caused to live within us has an envious yearning? See, he longs for us to be connected to him and to each other. Like, you know, like a parent who wants their kids to get along. Or the parent who says, you know, I hope my kid's marriage gets stronger and doesn't fall apart. I mean, you know, all of us are parents, you know, we have that yearning. I don't want to see my family you know, just scatter after, after I'm gone. You know, you want to see them be strong. It's the Holy Spirit in our heart that desires that for us. But he gives greater graces. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit to God, but resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Make your hearts pure, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and weep. Turn your laughter into mourning. Turn your joy into despair. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Cain couldn't get that. He was proud, arrogant, selfish, and live this life. And selfish people, that's what happens. You kind of are this nomad. You never develop meaningful friendships. You're always the hurt one and the victim. And you're just grouchy and angry. And I've buried a few of these. And they're horrible funerals to do because like, you got to just really dig deep to find something good to say. And the family's struggling. And, and they're grieving not just the loss, but the loss of what could have been. And, and, but but, but here's, he says, humble yourself. Why can't we get along? Because we're too proud. But when we humble ourselves and we receive Christ and we walk in the humility of Christ, we are enabled to have one strong marriages, healthy families, good relationships within the church. We will not all get along about everything and agree about our opinions on stuff, but we can love each other. I like green, you like blue. Does it matter? I love you too. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, and so, so there's always going to be disagreements. You know, who's going to win the Super Bowl? You know, Calgary Flames, Oilers, whatever it is. I like fish, you like beef. Who cares? We love Jesus, he loves us, <laughs> and we are his family. And so I'm gonna invite the team up. They're gonna lead us in, in that song again, the homecoming, but we're heading towards heaven, and we're gonna be forced to get along there. And there are people in this community that some of you are estranged from that are believers, and, and, and I would ask, you know, you know, maybe it's time to begin praying, Lord, would, would you help me to have a good attitude and, and, and to be restored to some of those people? Maybe you've got family members, and you know, we can't fix every situation, but we know in our hearts that we can walk in, in holiness and purity and say, you know what, I've forgiven. I'm open to a relationship, but, you know, I'll only do what I can do, Lord, and so you, you leave it in his hands. But we all have the potential to be real mean, but we also have the potential to be really loving. And when God takes over our hearts, he produces something in us that we can't produce in ourselves. The love of Christ. Grace. Humility. And so that's my prayer for myself and for you as we walk together. Why can't we get along? Because we haven't put Jesus in the center of our lives. But when we do, that does change everything. And so let's pray as we, as we close. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to, to receive him this morning. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again. And he can change your heart. He can make you so that you can forgive so that you can love, so that you can experience life on the level that he wants everyone to experience it. And Lord, I ask that you would give us the grace to be your people today. 
forgive us our sins, where we've acted pridefully and selfishly. Help us, Lord, just to be your people. Help our marriages to be strong, Lord, not just on Valentine's Day, but every day of the year. Help our families to be places of love and grace and acceptance. Help our community to see in our homes and at our desks and in our workplaces that, that, that we have your love living in us and shining through us. And so use us, we pray, Lord, to be your agents of change in, in our community. And I pray just for healing for our provinces and for our country. As we move forward to, to reduction of restrictions, Lord, there's going to be a need for a lot of forgiveness, a lot of grace. And so I pray that us Christians can be at the front line of that. Even though we, we are tempted to go in different directions, Lord, help us to just reflect Christ in all of our conversations and our actions. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, death separates families, but in Christ we know death is just a, a temporary, temporary situation. Shauna, we'll celebrate with Sherry in heaven. And that's the joy and the, the blessing it is to be part of God's family. And now may God bless you, keep you, guide you, and lead you. May the hope of Christ fill your heart. May his love overwhelm you. And may you be an agent of his grace this week. And we do pray a special prayer for Stuart and his family. Encourage them, Lord, as Sherry celebrates your presence in glory. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and everybody says,